The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show. And it's doing your homework. That's the thing. So many people are just sending, you know, a thousand emails out. It's not personalized. It's not specific to that. But if you go that extra step, you're so much more likely to have success. In fact, more than half of people can't say that they can't tell between fake news and real news now. That's a real problem for the journalism industry, but also kind of the future of democracy that really depends on everyone being able to agree on an objective truth. Space is completely intertwined with national security. I mean, it, when when the military is launching a drone strike somewhere on the other side of the world, that's all GPS signals. When the military is, you know, collecting data and surveillance from the other side of the world, even things like sending orders to commanders in the field, those are all via email, which comes over satellite. Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to have a best of show where we replay some of the podcasts that we really enjoyed over the last few months. There's a media theme today's show. Christina Daves is going to talk about what it takes to get the media attention you are looking for as a business person or as a company. Kim Hart's our second guest. Kim has been part of the D.C. community as an innovation writer, technology writer, policy writer for quite some time. First the Washington Post. Now she's with Axios. She's going to talk about how Axios is one of the newest media outlets in town is dealing with some really pressing challenges. Our third guest is Jacqueline Klimas to talk about her new newsletter around space. The space race has begun again. I'm excited about it, and it's a really fun periodical to be following. So that's what we're going to talk about in today's show. I have no doubt in my mind that most important for entrepreneurs and business leaders is being able to get out there and master the art of public relations in a positive way. We're joined by expert Christina Daves. She has mastered PR, I think, and we're going to talk about that and specifically her Get PR Famous formula. First of all, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, let's begin with uh, you've got this process. You've helped yep. hundreds, if not thousands of people in the D.C. region and nationally get better exposure. How, how would you describe it as a formulaic process? Right. And I what I figured out after years and years of this, I had invented a product new to the market, completely new market in the marketplace. And it was how am I going to get people to find out about it? So what I figured out is you've got to have a newsworthy story idea. You've got to have a great hook to get that journalist to open that email. And you've got to have the right journalist. And if you put all three of those in place and get really used to doing it, it's muscle memory, you're pitching really good stories, you will have success. So your view of PR then is that ultimately you rise and fall on the quality of the, your content then? Well, content's really important. And it's important because a journalist is going to check you out. 
to make sure that you are this credible person. When you pitch a story and a journalist says, wow, this is really good, and they go to your website and you have nothing, you have no social media followers, you've never, you know, they're probably not going to use you. Mm -hmm. um, and they might look for the next expert on that topic. So yes, it's very important that you've got good content in your industry and, and you're sharing it and then you're pitching and so you do check out. Now this differentiates from what I would call self-promotion, you know, using one's own Twitter feed or LinkedIn or whatever to shout your message. You're getting at something different here, it seems. Yeah, I, I think it's all all encompassing because when you do have that good content out there and, and you are on Twitter and you're a journalist, don't you look on Twitter? That's one of the biggest places I tell people, connect with your journalists on Twitter, see what, don't pitch them on Twitter, but see what they're talking about, see what you can relate to your industry, comment on it, share it with your audience, and that's how you start to build that relationship with journalists. I think you've really caught me there, and you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm always looking for people to talk with here on the air or to write about, and for me, the people that come inbound and, and pitch me, people pitch all day long. Sure. It's it's the research you do behind to see whether or not they're actually delivering value to a customer, whether they've actually written things that are sensible. Because you're absolutely right. Anybody who's in the media industry now is drowned with people who are jumping around down saying, look at me, look at me. Right. But if you put my little formula in place, you, you become light years ahead of your competition because you're giving them a story. You know you've done your research. You know what that journalist covers. You're pitching them exactly what they want to see. And then you're giving them a great headline that, I mean, I've had clients, their headlines have been on the covers of magazines, their hooks, and you're sending it right to the right person. So, you know, if I pitch you exactly what you do on this segment, you're like, wow, my job is done. Like, this is great. You check them out, done, booked. It's almost like the way I've heard people describe looking for the right job. Sure. It, it's the same thing. And it's, and it's doing your homework. That's the thing. So many people are just sending, you know, a thousand emails out. It's not personalized. It's not specific to that. But if you go that extra step, you're so much more likely to have success, right? And I tell people, don't even send a press release unless you just want to give them more information. Make it a personal email. You've done your homework. You know what the segment is about. You know what the the way they write articles. You give them a couple bullet points, you give them a statistic, and you know, let's talk more. You mentioned journalists. I think that traditionally when people thought about journalists, they thought about mainstream newspapers, magazines, meat outlets like radio program. But is journalism broader these days? Absolutely. And and I tell people, you know, everybody wants to be on CNN or the Today Show, Good Morning America, but it's those high ranking blogs that are that will give you the link back to your website. So and I talk, I said mentioned earlier, you know, you're gonna check somebody out. I'm gonna check somebody out before I meet with them. So when somebody types your name into Google and you see Wall Street Journal. Huffington Post, Forbes, Entrepreneur, wow, you check out. The other, the like the CNNs and things like that, they rarely will link back to you. So I think it's almost better in terms of credibility and SEO to get the blogs. As you look at the current environment, do you get a sense that with all the people that are engaged in intention-seeking behavior using mm -hmm. social media, it makes it easier to stand out if you take the time to provide good content, or does it make it harder? Oh, I think it's easier. You, you've got if you're providing good content, you've got a good following. Uh, I, I think you. We talked about that a little bit earlier. People will start to follow you. They want to see what you're going to talk about versus if you're just throwing stuff out there to get stuff out there. You know, I don't like that. If something comes in my email box, I'm like, oh, 
You know, what, what is this? But give me something good that I really want to read or watch. And video is so important. I'd rather see it in a video form. Um, but that that's good content. That's what people are going to pay attention to. You know, it's so refreshing to have this conversation because i got to tell you, I've had other folks in the studio and I talk with people who say that we're just drowning in a sea of frappification of information right now. And it doesn't seem like you buy that. Give your people what they want. And I have a good following. People like what I put out there. I put out a PR tip every Friday, short, less than two minutes. It's everywhere. You know, it's just something that people can use and take away and and help. If this is what they want to do, I can help them do this well, easily. You and, I, you and I have a minute left together. I'm sure that at this point, people are listening and thinking, this sounds really great. What are three things I can do to get started? Start local. I think that's one of the best places. It's local journalists love stories about local businesses. So get to know your local people and you can pick up the phone and do that. Learn what's what's interesting about your business. What's your niche? You know, even if you're a real estate agent, how can you narrow down to that one thing that you do that nobody else is doing? That's your newsworthy story idea. And again, make sure you're pitching the right person and you can Google it. Who writes about X for Y? That easy. So like anything else in the world, if you take the time to do it right, you can do it well. Absolutely. Christina, I want to thank you for coming in the studio and joining us today. It was really great hearing about what you're up to and some really great nuggets. Folks, check out PR for Anyone by Christina Daves. Thank you. And a thank you to our sponsor, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent, an ideal location, and the latest in market and business intelligence so you can do business successfully in the greater Washington region and Montgomery County. Your business success starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. next guest is going to talk with me about trust. Trust is a very important thing in relationships, but it's also very important for managing your information flow. Kim Hart is managing editor at Axios. She has also been part of the D.C. community as a columnist in the Washington Post and has spent time as a communications spokesman for the Federal Communications Commission. Very much an example of how you get things done here in D.C. Kim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk first about your current gig. Uh, Axios is a name that many of us no, but what exactly is Axios up to here in town? Great question. So Axios just celebrated its first anniversary. We launched the same week as Donald Trump's inauguration, in fact. Um, and we ha we started as a place where people could go to try to to have an answer to the information overload that we all feel these days. There's this 
proliferation of information and news and sites and outlets. And I think a lot of people find it hard to digest and find what it is they need to know in their busy lives. So Axios tried to uh, become a platform that could break through some of that noise and tell people what they need to know uh, in short, digestible stories. That doesn't mean that it is dumbed down or higher level or just uh, skims the surface. We really do try to provide as much context as is needed for the reader to really understand the dynamic of a particular event or a news announcement or a big thing that happened at the White House or something that happened on Wall Street with here's what happened here's why it matters, here's why you should care, and here's what to watch next. And it's not just politics. And I think that, again, that's very endemic of, I think, the way a lot of people think of D.C. They just think politics. But the reality is, is that this is places a cross-section of, of business, finance, social trends, politics. It's, it's everything, right? Absolutely. And that was also one of the founding premises of Axios, which was to try to connect the dots between all of these different areas of coverage that you just mentioned. People tend to think of politics as a siloed uh, news platform or business as its own little world that doesn't really connect with biz- with uh, politics or technology the same way. And what uh, Mike Allen and Roy Schwartz and Jim Vandehei, who founded Axios a year ago, really wanted to do was help readers understand how all those worlds are colliding and connect the dots in interesting ways that you don't necessarily find at some of the larger publications. And your business model is to basically be a curator, but also to be, I'm going to call it an expertizer, you know, to take information and say, we've reviewed this and this is what is true, which I think really has led you personally into very much, you're in the middle of trying to think through how do people, how do people know what's true? How do they trust information, right? Right, right. And it really comes down to trust in the journalist and trust in the people who are providing that information to you. So what we do is, to your point earlier, we do curate news, we aggregate news that we think is important, uh, that is legitimate, that we vet ourselves um, and tell people why it's important and why they should know about it. But we also are doing um, a ton of original reporting every day as well that that complements that and expands on the news that we see in other publications and really tries to create an ecosystem that is not only trustworthy, but also feels kind of worthy of people coming there and spending their time with us. So how does trust and curation not become spin? Part of the model that we have created is to bring in people who have a lot of expertise in the areas that they cover. So they've been doing this for a long time. They're not, um, you know, fresh out of college journalists, although we do have some of those who are really smart and help us to aggregate the news and and make sure we're on top of everything that's breaking, but really bring in people who have been involved in business, involved in politics, involved in technology for a very long time. So they're easy, they have a, a, a pretty good bull radar, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. and can tell when they're being spun and can usually anticipate what the spin will be and can even tell that to readers. Like, you know, if, if there's a story coming out of the White House or a story coming out of of a major Fortune 100 company, um, we can even say, and and not in an editorialized way, but in more of a contextualizing um, analysis way, be able to say, what you're going to hear from this company is X, Y, and Z. Or here's what the White House is probably going to say in response to this, to point out, like, yes, we know all of the different factors going into this. We know all of the different competing pressures um, and the the spin dynamic that is happening all around us. But we're trying to break through that and tell you just what's happening in an unbiased and objective way, which I think is important in today's uh, news economy, um, and explain why in the larger frame of the information world that we're faced with every day, what it means. Trust is truth now, it, it, right? It, it, some At some level. 
trust is something that I believe you've pointed out in one of your other studies. Our country is declining in, in trust compared yes. to other places. In, in fact, it's an unprecedented decline right now. Um, the Edelman Trust Barometer Study is an annual survey that Edelman put, puts out every year uh, that looks at trust in institutions around the world. Um, they've done it for many years. And this year, uh, it just came out a couple of weeks ago, this year it showed a dramatic collapse of trust um, in America, of all institutions. And that covers business, NGOs, the government and media. The media, in fact, worldwide has seen the biggest decline of trust across the board. In fact, more than half of people can't say that they can't tell between fake news and real news now. That's a real problem for the journalism industry, but also kind of the future of democracy that really depends on everyone being able to agree on an objective truth. I have had people tell me when I discuss this issue of what's truth and objective reality to say Americans don't care about what's true. But yet, if that was the case, they wouldn't be as disaffected with institutions as they are. They must be angry that they're not hearing objective reality. Absolutely. I think that there's a real thirst out there, a real hunger for news and some some sources of information that they can count on to get just just the facts. I don't necessarily want the spin. I don't really want to have a an only liberal point of view on this or a super conservative point of view on this. I want to make up my own mind. So give me the facts. Give me both sides. And let me figure out what I think about that. And I think that that's actually why Axios has hit such a strong nerve in D.C., because we're at a time when the media is so polarized. There are so many um, very left wing outlets, very right wing outlets. And, you know, that was exploited very much so over the past few election cycles. And we, we've gotten to a point now where people, you know, my friends who are very well informed people in Washington who've been in this town for a long time have said to me, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I don't know what's true. And that's pretty scary when people who are, you know, kind of understand how Washington works, understand how the business world works, are feeling that way. Can you imagine how people, you know, who are who aren't as savvy to the way of Washington or Wall Street or, you know, how things get done in these various big epicenters of commerce? They're, you know, sitting in cities all across the country, you know, they're they're teachers, they're firefighters, they're police officers, they're people that we rely on to protect us and like keep our society moving. And if and and they're also having this really hard time understanding what is truth. That was Kim Hart, managing editor at Axios. Kim, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Support for this podcast comes from University of Maryland's Smith School of Business, where students learn to harness data to meet tomorrow's challenges. More information about the Smith School MBA program is available at rhsmith.umd.edu. I may be aging myself a bit, but I remember the space race and it was very much a part of my childhood and I suspect many of you remember it very well. Well, we're in another space race now. Space is on more and more people's lips and to take advantage of that and to be part of it, Politico just launched a new Space Weekly newsletter. We're joined by Jacqueline Klimas. She is the national security reporter at Politico and also the co-author's new newsletter. First of all, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I will admit I'm a space geek. I'm not going to lie. Your newsletter seems really cool, but tell us about it. So it's a, a weekly newsletter. It's going to be coming out every Friday, launched earlier this month. 
and we're really excited about it. It's a new product for us. Um, it's it's just really exciting to delve a little more into the space race at such an exciting time. You know that the president is talking about it, the administration's talking about it. We have this new National Space Council. Um, the the Commerce Department is into it. It's really across the administration, and there's just so much cool stuff going on um, in the the private sector as well. I actually I started covering space uh, about a year ago, and I didn't even realize I was a space nerd until I got into it. And now I just I just absolutely love it. <laughs> so for me, I think I became a space nerd uh, probably with Apollo Eight, with uh, you know the Christmas poem, the Christmas Day poem as they came around and saw the Earth. What was it about of last year that made you a space geek? Uh, so I actually got to go down to Cape Canaveral and see a rocket launch, wow. which, I mean, I'm going to admit it, I was crying. It was just to see something go up into space, and then it was a SpaceX launch. So seeing it then come back down and land um, just just really, really got me hooked. When you think about what's going on here, it would seem to me that there are two big trends right now. There's entrepreneurship in space. And there's also, I think, a growing arms race in space. It's, it appears to me that both of those come together in a really unique way here in D.C. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is sort of the the center of everything where you have the administration, the exploration push with NASA, the goal to get to Mars. We actually just did a story about the, the potential for space war and kind of all the ways that our satellites are vulnerable in space. Uh, you know, if if someone were to target that, all of a sudden, all the GPSs could just stop working. Uh, you have no more Uber, no more timing stamps for ATMs. Uh, the, the economy would really just grind to a halt. So there's that huge vulnerability. And then you have the industry really doing just these, these really innovative things. Um, you have SpaceX landing rocket boosters and reusing them, which is really lowering the cost of entry to get into space so you have these new innovative innovative companies who can basically hitch rides on rockets, making it so much cheaper for new countries and, and new companies to enter the market. And, and admittedly, it's going to create enormous regulatory challenges. I think, for example, about just you mentioned SpaceX, you know, they're playing for the low Earth satellite network where they're going to provide broadband with all these microsatellites. And, you know, the, the space junk that's already up there and the threat that it how are we going to get there without really having it doesn't seem like the free market's going to solve all these problems is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean the the technology someone just told me the other day the technology has definitely outpaced the policy realm. There just isn't the policy and the regulations to govern this sort of stuff right now um with regard to reusable rockets or satellite servicing. People want to be able to to go up and when satellites run out of fuel, they want to be able to basically put more fuel in the tanks so we don't have to trash them using less space debris. Uh, but right now you go to these agencies and you say, I want to do this. They're like, well, we've never done this before. We have to figure out who you should be talking to, what licenses you need. Um, the, the government regulations just really haven't caught up to the things private companies want to be able to do. It's interesting to me because I think we could say a similar thing about autonomous cars and, and drones and a lot of different places. Technology doesn't wait. Technology goes, which I think is what makes space so exciting. Uh, as an opportunity. It's 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 glamorous, uh, Captain Kirk, the final frontier and all that stuff. But when I think about uh, covering this, uh, as as you now are, how does this play with national security? And, and does this really bear out in a particular way how national security really does drive our economy locally and nationally? I think that's that's definitely true. Space is completely intertwined with national security. I mean, it, when when the military is launching a drone strike somewhere on the other side of the world. That's all GPS signals. When the military is, you know, collecting data and surveillance from the other side of the world, even things like sending 
orders to commanders in the field, those are all via email, which comes over satellite. So it's it's definitely has a, has a huge impact on national security. And we go to the consumer side, it appears that we're now seeing, well, Virgin Galactic should start flying relatively soon, Blue Origin and, and various private efforts are going to do, you know, uh, not even orbit, just low altitude or high altitude, sort of elliptical things like Alan Shepard did. But we're talking, I mean, you've got Boeing now and people talking about low Earth orbit. How far away do you think we are from a space tourism industry? I, I think we're still a couple of years, but people are definitely already talking about it. Um, you know, there there are capsules where you can go up to the edge of space. You can the, the idea will be that you can feel the weightlessness of not having gravity, see the Earth from space and then come back down. And right now, you know, the, the cost at first is going to be very high. But just like air travel, I think people are predicting that over time going to space will become or, or flying through space. If you you fly through space, you can get anywhere in the world in this crazy short amount of time. So predicting that, you know, this is, of course, way in the future, but it will it will become more commonplace. I think it will be very interesting to see. And, and this is something that was touched on in one of your newsletters that I read recently that uh one of the big things people are going to have to overcome is it's going to be risky, just like aviation was risky. Planes crashed a lot in the 20s and 30s. There's going to be a period of time where it's going to be really risky to be on top of a rocket or a space plane. Do you think that consumers and the nation's really ready to tolerate an entrepreneurial approach to space exploration? I think the people who love space really want to go to space. I, I think there will be people who absolutely will be willing to spend the money and take the risk to do it just because how many people can say they've been to space? It's, it's a really cool thing. <laughs> it's the ultimate roller coaster ride, exactly. I would say. <laughs> so you're going to go then if you have a chance? Uh, prior to this endeavor, I was always a hard no because I get airsick on airplanes and I didn't think it would be for me. But I mean, the the view and it, it's tempting for sure. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I mean, I get scared on roller coasters, but I will tell you that if I had an opportunity to go, maybe I'll just sedate myself. <laughs> Where can folks sign up for this newsletter? Uh, so you can go to politico.com and there's a, a space page there where you'll be able to to sign up. It comes out every Friday morning. Uh, we have the, the latest space news of the week for, for space geeks and non-space geeks alike. Well, I'm going to definitely enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy writing as much as we're going to enjoy reading it. Jack, thanks for joining us. Thank today. you. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. And a thank you to our sponsor, Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation. Their business development team can help you find the best talent, an ideal location, and the latest in market and business intelligence so you can do business successfully in the greater Washington region and Montgomery County. Your business success starts with MCEDC. Connect with them at thinkmoco.com. Support for this podcast comes from University of Maryland's Smith School of Business, where students learn to harness data to meet tomorrow's challenges. More information about the Smith School MBA program is available at rhsmith.umd.edu. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please rate the podcast. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on the show. Tweet us at, at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.